Hello and welcome. I'm Sasha Sterling, and this is Exploring All That Is Sacred. And today I am joined by a bright light of a woman, Monica Zanz. Hi, Monica. Hi, Sasha. Thank you so much. I agree. I think you're a bright light too. So we reflect each other. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Monica and I were connected through some mutual friends and for a brief period, we're neighbors. And it was so refreshing, Monica, to meet you and experience your consistency of your joy and your aliveness and how on mission you are in every area. And as I continue to get to know you, I'm really moved and inspired by who you are and how you show up when things are good. And also in those crunchy moments, really, I've seen your character revealed multiple times and it's really an honor to get to, to be your friend and also to share this time. So Monica is the founder, co-founder of The Rich Life. She is a coach and is on mission to support people in living unbelievably powerful lives, relationships, success in business sustainably. And you also are teaming up, have teamed up with your husband, Jan. And I know you both are making, have made such an impact in so many people's lives. So I'm going to pass it to you to share more about your, you know, your journey and what you're, what you're doing and how you're helping people. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And it's such a pleasure to be here. And, you know, I love having conversations with people where we have this heart connection. So also from the moment that I met you, I felt your presence. I felt your kindness. I felt your love. And one of my favorite moments that we share is when we did the full moon ceremony and we were howling at the moon outside and laying under the light of the moon and listening to a beautiful meditation. And I just, I feel the little girl and the woman and the sage all wrapped up. So, you know, it's a pleasure to be here and fun to be in this container with you. Oh my God. Um, that was a powerful, that was a powerful oh, uh, so moon ritual. And I had just come out of a very personally, uh, an initiation where all my hair got cut off and we were burning my like 10 inches of hair under the moon. We were so committed and yeah, it's, it's so many fun moments, so many more to come. So, so good. Many. I, I just got the opportunity to go to a live event that you and Jan led here in Austin, Texas, a supercharger event, and it was so powerful. So I'd love for our audience to hear if they haven't experienced you more about what you do and who you help. Amazing. So Jan and I, we both have a master's in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica. And my, I got my master's 12 years ago and he got his uh, about six years ago. And when I went, the intention for me was I was moving out of corporate America. I had worked in corporation for a really long time, like 17 years. I was an independent contractor and I was working in military defense and space technology. And so I was, you know, proving concepts and supporting things so that our space technology keeps us safe. And for military defense, like certain capabilities on some of the fighter planes or on some of the um, drones and different things that we're building. And I was really inspired by the work I was doing, but I was alone in a dark room editing. And then I would be with people for a moment when I'd produce or direct something. And then I'd be back hours and hours and hours in a dark room. And what I was fascinated by is people, how, how we work how we navigate our lives. And I got the fortune of being able to interview a bunch of people that had given 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of service in that industry. And when I would interview them, the questions I would ask them would always catch them off guard because I'd be asking them questions about, well, who are you and what makes you tick? And why did you get into this line of work? And how does your family feel about it? And how does it make you feel that you have so many hours away from your family? And we got into like the depth of their story. And they would say to me sometimes, this doesn't feel like the typical interview where you're asking me about my engineering. This feels like you're asking me about my life. And I feel like I'm a person with you rather than a person who does something. And that was the beginning of me really saying like what I'm trying to do or what I want on this planet is for people to be witnessed, for people to wake up to their true and inherent God-given, spirit-given gifts and to explore, expand, and use those gifts to be a better version of themselves so that they can impress, they can imprint, they can impact, they can heal, help, support, guide, whatever they're meant to do for others. That I think when we awaken to our gifts, we awaken to something that's in us, 
but it's not for us to keep secret and hide from the world. It's for us to give away. So that calling has been deep inside of me since I was a very little girl. I was studying to be a surgeon and, and thought I would be a doctor and really help people that were having birth defects. And I had this whole plan and, and I thought my life was going to be away. And of course, you make a plan, God laughs and the plan changes many times. And I found myself laughing with God along the way because there were many very challenging moments that all there was left to do was kind of sit back and laugh. And so what Jan and I do with these superchargers is it's an opportunity to bring powerful, beautiful, amazing, curious people together. And sometimes people come to a retreat or a workshop because they want to work on something. They want to change, fix, or get something better. But supercharger is about something else. It's about supercharging you and the things in life you want to bring online or you want to bring more online, more into the limelight. So it's like activating this, this part of you that is your loving essence, your unconditional loving essence. And the way that we do it is we use this format called trioing, where you get to sit in different roles so that you can see yourself in other roles, so that you can be in a supportive role, in a listening role, and in a talking role. And by wearing those different hats, as we process through things that we're wanting to supercharge or bring online, we immediately, because of those different seats, take on different perspectives. So the beauty of this work is to have people that are in whatever space in life that they're in. Maybe they're making a transition. Maybe they're bringing something online. Maybe they're releasing a relationship. Maybe they're excited about something that they're learning or that they're passionate about. And they have this beautiful forum to be able to share about it, to explore it, to dive into it, to potentially allow any emotions to come forward. And it's a real space of acceptance being seen and being heard in a container that kind of feels like I'm present and I have a way, a container to work through this that, that gives me something to consider. So each time that we meet, and we're working on doing it once a month, um, each time that we meet, we have a different theme. So the very first one that we did here in Austin, the theme was making friends with the voices in your head and really talking about how are the voices inside of you either encouraging you and supporting you on this pathway that you're on, or are they hindering you in some way? So we went through a little bit of a discussion, a lesson and awareness about that. If you've ever read the book by Michael Singer, The Untethered Soul, he talks a lot about the voices in our head, and he really gives a beautiful expression of how those voices are here both to serve us and be teachers for us. And we often forget that we have a voice inside of us that is not actually us. It is remnants of memories. It is remnants of parents or coaches or people that have impressed upon us their idea for us. And it's our opportunity to question and challenge, do we believe that? And does that send us on a positive upward path? Or do we not believe in it? And what boundaries or what ways of honoring self can we do? So that's a big part of the movement that Chan and I are, are doing. We're going across the nation. And at the end of the year, we're actually taking it abroad into Europe. And we're doing two things, Supercharge Your Life, which is like a one-day retreat event. And then the Superchargers are a three-hour, in-person, beautiful connection event so that we can keep the energy alive and begin to create this beautiful community where people come whenever they want to do a deep dive on an area of life that's important to them at that time. Mm, so good. Well, <laughs> as someone who's done a lot of work, I'm a perpetual learner. I It was life-changing, Monica. Oh, it was absolutely life-changing. I came in kind of nervous. I was like, because I'm still building my network here in Austin. So if you're local, message me because I'm making new friends. And everyone was so welcoming. And mm -hmm. I, through the process, the, you know, making uh, friends with the voices in my head, I didn't realize I was beating myself up around some procrastination and a lot of self-judgment, but it was really sneaky. It was a very sneaky kind of perfectionistic conversation. So Ooh. through the process that you guided us through, I connected to the mean girl and mm -hmm. I have experienced so much relief and re completely have reframed something that I was 
ashamed of into actually like my greatest opportunity to roll out, you know, to build this whole new chapter of my life from. So in just two, three hours, I got a nugget that has completely shifted my reality in a positive way. So I'm just so excited for you around what you're doing. Oh, and from three people. So if you're just connecting with Monica for the first time, you've been making a difference for powerful leaders for decades, right? I mean, you and three different people without knowing our connection said that you and your husband are the secret weapon behind what makes their relationship work, their business work, themselves work. So each person said a different thing. So I just thought that was really powerful and, and uh, (laughs) really, you know, says a lot when people say that. Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you shared that with me because the intention is for it to be a very short but potent Hmm. deep dive so that you could have that kind of life-altering experience. Now, we don't promise that, and it's it's possible maybe, you know, that you can have that maybe not every time, but maybe some of the times or maybe every time, depending on how open you come. So I acknowledge you also for coming open and ready and willing to do the work, even though you were a little nervous or, you know, unsure, but that's amazing that you were able to dive into and attune to that part inside of you at a level where you could bring the mean girl forward and have a dialogue as opposed to trying to shut her out, trying to push her away, trying to, you know, get past what that messaging was or that feeling was. And instead, by by connecting, it's kind of like when we were children and our parents didn't hear us and we kept being louder and louder or throwing more of a tantrum or being more persistent because we just needed to be heard. Yeah. And as young ones, we don't always have the boundary of like, oh, well, I guess I should stop. We just go and go and go and push and push and push. But as we get older and older and older and we feel that resistance or the rejection or that 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 no, that people's body energy or mouth says, We tend to not always be persistent when we're going after something that we're really looking for. So healing often gets put on the back burner. And yeah, if you have a coach, you have a therapist, or you do the work, you think you may be healing, but we're healing often the thing we think is up. But there are so many voices that we hear all day long that if we don't give those voices pause to actually listen to them, there's like a whole cabinet of people inside of our head that starts like creating a ruckus that's like wait I want to say something wait I want you to listen to this wait what do you believe about this so I really love that you honored that and allowed that mean girl to come forward and allowed her to not be wrong for having her opinions and expression hearing it allowing her to know thank you I don't need you to be mean anymore to be able to share with me and let's maybe give you a new job description or let's alter the way that we relate And now I can have freedom when I'm up against procrastination or I'm feeling like I haven't produced the result in the timeline or the way that I thought it was going to go instead of feeling that punitive push or that I'm not enoughness that a lot of people tend to feel. So thank you. I love that you shared that. And I love that you got that from it. Well, and I was so surprised because as a women's advocate and a master empowerment coach for women, I just, it was such a blind spot for me because I'm not a mean girl in my outer reality, but it really revealed, whoa, I've internalized this and rejected and then looking at blind spots as well in other areas. So yeah, just, it's amazing um, how, how much is really going on below behind the, you know, under the surface. And so you said something a little earlier that I'd love for you to, to expand on around laughing with God, because, uh, you know, we have a lot of growth oriented people who tune into this podcast and something that comes up a lot is how to make peace with change and transformation, right? That the, 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 the um, part of us that wants to hold on to the comfort of the known. And then that part of us, the, the evolutionary part of us that is calling for change. And so what is your personal relationship with, with acceptance and surrender when change is maybe a little self-directed, but also circumstantial circumstances are also guiding the change. It's beautiful. So Jane and I have a mission and that is to eradicate self-inflicted suffering on this planet. If we could help people learn how to process these voices in their head, learn how to attune. You know, the essence of spiritual psychology is 
the conscious awareness of your unconditional loving. So if people could learn to attune to that they are love itself, that they are the, the conscious and, and unconditional loving, and that their human and their reality and their experience and their expression may have judgment in it, may have limitation, may have lack, but that the opportunity is to tap into the unconditional loving and develop and build as a primary intention and focus for life, the muscle of unconditionally loving self and others, then we don't suffer. So when you say the words acceptance and surrender, that's exactly, I have a process where it's, it's literally surrender or suffer. Because if we aren't in acceptance and we aren't in surrender, then the natural byproduct is there's some form of suffering. And suffering over an extended amount of time can turn into a very chronic experience of looking through the lens of suffering. So when you're looking through the lens of suffering, you're looking out in the world at how the world has done wrong unto you or by you. And we often, when, we, when we're wearing lenses, we don't always realize that we have them on because we've been so conditioned to wake up into this reality we've created that it becomes what our North Star and our guiding light is as opposed to wait, I've made it this, I have chosen this, let me take the lenses off and let me see what other options are there. And then perhaps I'm going to put on a different lens that's going to serve the outcomes and the mission that I'm on better. So when I say the laughing with God, you know, as we get older and older and older, it's almost like we're taught, don't laugh at that, take that seriously. In order to really make something happen, you need to really work hard, you need to focus, you need to really get in there. But in all my experiences, where I've had the most releases when I'm immersed in a beautiful conversation with amazing friends, when I'm floating on a pool and we're laughing and we're having a deep conversation where I'm out of my head and I'm in nature and I'm in the experience and I'm in my heart and I'm, I'm feeling witnessed and I'm feeling held by the people that I'm with. And so it felt to me like, I think in some ways we've got it wrong. I know that in order to create a result, we need focus and we need discipline and we need follow through and we need activation. We need to keep going and doing and iterating. But could we do it along the way, having connection and, and depth and relax and to let go of any resistance so that that which is for our highest good that isn't just coming from our mind and from our body, but from sourced from all different kinds of energies and resources and, and intelligence on the planet. What if I'm more attuned to that so that then I have a higher capacity for surrender and acceptance? Because if I'm not suffering, I'm not bracing. And if I'm not suffering, I'm not resisting. And if I'm not suffering, I'm not contracting and preparing, which then closes my heart down or closes my stomach down or closes some of my chakra down and then doesn't have me attuned to what is my throat opening really have to express and say, or what is my third eye connecting to as a collaboration or what is my crown connecting to the universal consciousness that gives me insights and, and, and awareness beyond my knowledge as a human. So I feel that that practice of breath, the practice of walking barefoot in grass or laying face down in dirt or sand or grass, getting into water, getting into warm water or cold water, getting into a shower or a bath, having aromatherapy, looking at a candle that's lit, watching the smoke from Palo Santo, like whatever is a meditative or a in and out of you experience, a shared experience between you and another being or between you and another experience, that gives you spaciousness. And in spaciousness, we can attune to what's our highest calling. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to ask a, a personal question, personal research okay. question around okay. relationship, around okay. intimate relationship. So how important is it that our primary partner, because I'm currently, you know, post-divorce, had my first relationship after divorce. It was really amazing. We loved each other back to life. We've released each other. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely like, it's, everything's wide open. And I'm like, wow, what do I not know? What, what do I not know? I don't know here around, um, around 
even what to what to ask for or look for and specifically around because I know you support people in relationships long term successful relationships who are growth oriented how much does having the same goggles on or the same glasses as you said come into play and or their relationship with surrender versus suffering so let me rephrase the question so how Perfect. much does being on the same page or being in alignment in belief or philosophy come into play and in particular in the area of acceptance and surrender versus the suffering does that yeah. feel I got that it? feels okay. good so i'll say a bunch of things so 30 years together with jan mm -hmm. the first five years were bliss then we had a really really rocky couple of years we ended up breaking up we ended up, I, I met another man and, and thought I might be married to a different person. We ended up coming back together. We ended up getting married. In our first year of marriage, we talked about this isn't working and maybe we should get divorced. And at the end of our first year of marriage, we did a ton of work, a communications coach, transformational workshop. Like we just started finding people in our universe said, you guys are great together. Before you get divorced, try this, try this, try this. And I didn't believe that any of that would work because it was my first foray into it. I was very spiritual since I was a very little girl. When I go back to looking at my journal entries, I was always on the path, but I didn't know it. And it wasn't necessarily being cultivated by my parents or my community or my family. I had an aunt who was really the preeminent cultivator of my spirituality, but besides her, it wasn't really the language in our home. And it wasn't definitely the language in any of my friendships or any of my, you know, close knit community. So I was on that path and I come to meet this man who isn't on that path. So we are very different in terms of philosophy and belief and, and ways and the first two things I did when we started dating is I gave him the book by Dan Millman, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and I gave him the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And the reason I gave him those is it's like, I need you to understand me if this is ever going to have a chance of working. I need you to know me. And so I need you to know me because I'm a peaceful warrior and I need you to know me because I'm a forever learner. I'm always looking for that reflection in the mirror to remember that it's not the journey, but it's me. It's I am the journey itself, not going somewhere to find myself. So those nuances and his willingness to embrace that that's part of who I am, that was important. That's the part of the acceptance and surrender. But on the flip side of that, we had very different paths. We had very different ways of processing. Um, I got my master's 10 years before he went and got it. I never asked him to go do it. I prayed in the secrecy of my own desires and wishes and wants because I wanted us to have similar language and similar experiences and similar things we could reflect on. But I never believed that if he never did, we couldn't be. So I believe that what makes a relationship work or not work is openness. A partner needs to be willing to get to know their other partner in all the ways that their partner works. And if you are in a relationship with someone who is a hell no and has walls and resistance to what your exploration, your journey, your learning and desire is, that makes it very challenging because there's not an, a pathway of growth together. But do you have to be growing exactly at the same speed and have the same knowledge and be at the same pace? I don't believe so. I believe what you have to do is be willing um, the Gottmans have a, a terminology called turning towards. I believe you have to continue to turn towards each other. And I believe that you have to be really good at listening, not just to the words that your partner says, but to the, the underlying intention. And that both of you have to come to an agreement, both verbally as well as energetically, is every intention that we have loving. Can we see our partner through this lens of love, knowing that even... I mean, I'm shitty sometimes because I'm hungry or because I'm that time of the month or because I feel down on myself and I haven't done my own process. So Jan asks me a question and I, I get snarky or bark at him. And it's because of whatever's going on in my internal world. 
that I haven't necessarily taken the time to process or haven't really become aware, kind of like maybe the mean girl in you. Like I wasn't aware that there's something unresolved inside. So something gets triggered and I'm shitty. But in that shittiness, I'm not trying to be shitty to hurt my man or to hurt my partner. I'm shitty because I'm going through something. And if my man knows that even though I'm being shitty underneath the shitty is an intention of loving, well, then we can get to resolution. Maybe it means that he needs to attune to, hey, maybe we need to walk away from this moment. Maybe it's, hey, hon, I, I see that you're going through something before we talk about this. Can we talk about what's going on inside of you? And you know, when you're in snarky world, perhaps sometimes you say nothing. I don't want to talk about it. You know, you're short. And you're... But then he invites me, okay, well, when you're ready, would you like to talk about it? Let's put what we were going to talk about on pause, because I don't know that we're going to get anywhere if you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's like in that honoring of space for me, because he's attuned and he's not in his trigger. Or when we both get triggered, both of us have the tools to be able to say, ah, you know what? I think we both need to take a moment. Let's take a pause. Let's take a 10 minute pause and come back and see if 10 minutes was enough. Nope. Let's take a 30 minute pause. Let's see if that, no, let's take a, a, you know, a couple of hours. Let's, let's reconvene in a few hours and see where we're at. And because it's no for 10 and no for 30, maybe let's do a little bit of exploration ourselves. So I think that Jan and I have come to this place of, we talk about a lot. And if I'm snarky, he says, you know, this isn't, what I'm used to with you, right? You know, how you're operating right now. So is something going on that you want to talk about or do you need some space? Like he's attuned enough to be able to honor and meet me where I'm at and vice versa, rather than needing me to be where he's at. Is that so much there? It's so good. Thank you for okay. sharing a little bit of the timeline. I had no idea about any of that. It brings me such comfort. Yeah. Love, love is such, um, love is so powerful. Uncertainty. Right. Love and uncertainty, in my opinion, go hand in hand. Uncertainty. And mm -hmm. we all want love to be certain. And so we put a lot of parameters and a lot of rules and a lot of desires and a lot of wants on it. And because we do that, love doesn't do well when you pressure it. <laughs> because love is, it's not an energy that wishes to be boxed into a pressured situation or cornered in any way. Love is. So that uncertainty, the more we can enter into a comfort of that uncertainty, the more we give love space to be love. That's so beautiful, Monica. I hear so much trait, so, so much trust and faith, embodied trust and faith Total. inside of that. Total. Yes. That, that is, I always <laughs> say to people, what do you think trust is? And I ask them this question because uh, uh, in many of our programs, our classes, or in our one-on-one -on -one coaching, we'll say like, what is, what is your intention for either today's session or for this program, four-week program? And a lot, I would say at least 50% of people say, I really want to trust myself, or I want to trust, you know, my business, or I want to trust the outcomes that I'm going for more. Mm -hmm. And I say, great, tell me your definition of trust. And most of the time people say, knowing that what I need and what I'm going after, I can have, and I'm going to make it. And I say to them, well, then we're not talking about trust. We're talking about knowing. We're talking about outcome. So maybe your intention is that you would like to really lean into your outcomes or your results, or you'd like to practice becoming attuned to what you know. That's accurate. But when you're talking about trust, you're talking about, I'm willing to be more and more uncertain about whatever the outcome is and to be less attached to the outcome I think it is and more open to arriving at what's for the highest good according to the outcome I'm going after. Because trust for me is the unknowing and the being willing, even in my unknowing, to keep taking the next step and to keep leaning in a little bit more. And I think most people have learned that trust is the opposite. It is not until you've done trusting and trusting and trusting the uncertain that you come to the knowing. So that's, that's my distinction for that. So much paradox inside of all of that. And totally. <laughs> it's so much paradox. So much paradox. So something that I find in common with really powerful leaders is the word, the use of the word intention. And mm -hmm. so 
for some people, I'm thinking of someone maybe who's listening, um, who they find a lot of their sense of safety through controlling, trying to control their environment, their business, their outcome, and are also very aware and conscious. And so because of sometimes a fear of love that letting go, right. Of if it's, if it's, what's that saying? If it's up to, if it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. So how, well, well, hold on one second, hold that thought. Yeah. Because letting go in my world is, is still control because you have to choose to do the letting. Mm. So even in how you're sharing, like when people say, I just want to let go, I just want to let go. Yeah. You still want to control the, what goes, you know? Mm. And so it's like, it's a different paradigm. It's like opening. Mm. And you know, when a lotus flower opens and closes at night, it opens during the day when the sun kisses it mm. and it closes at night when the darkness kisses it. And it does that. Oh, and we could look at it as a metaphor, like the lotus needs the energy of the kiss of night, the darkness mm. to give it rest and permission to surrender. Mm. And then the kiss of sun says, come back out and learn and explore and give of your gifts that you have gestated throughout the night. And that opening is an, is an interactive expression between it and the sun. So it's this dance between the invitation from the sun to open and its willingness to take on and receive the invitation. And I think that sometimes and, and we'll get back to you finishing what the question is, but I think sometimes the people that, and, and I don't know a person that doesn't have moments of wanting control because societally we're taught the more in control you are, the more you have a say of the outcome. So it doesn't feel so chaotic because chaos feels undeterminable. It feels uncertain. And in order to get to result, there's a level of finiteness. Like I'm at point A, I'm going to do 10 steps. I'm going to get to point B, which is the result I'm going for. There's a finiteness to, oh, I've now arrived at B. You know, I want to build a muscle in my arms. I'm going to go to the gym a certain amount of times. The amount of times I need versus the amount of time Sasha needs will be different. But at a certain point, I will have achieved a muscle in my arm. And now maybe I want bigger muscles. Maybe I want stronger muscles, but I will have achieved that B of getting the muscle. But when we're in control, we often have this illusion of then I'll know and I'll be safe. And what we want to work on is how else can you know? So that safety isn't dependent on the result, and you proving and having evidence for many results being achieved. Can you also use that? Don't deny that. That's a good one. That's great evidence because it's physical. Your eyes or body can see it and feel it. It's great. Don't de- don't deny yourself of that, but add to it in your repertoire. What else can demonstrate to me a sense of knowing, a sense of an outcome is possible so that the control doesn't become the very thing that limits our potential. So sorry, going back to what you were going to ask, you touched on it. You, you jumped ahead. You totally went there. It's so good. It's, it's so much, so much there. Yeah. I think the, the, the desire for safety really does underpin so much. And especially as mothers, you know, we have a lot of moms raising, raising kids and the desire to create safety and certainty is such a high driver. I know it is for myself. And so knowing that safety isn't dependent on results, what are some ways that you support yourself? You mentioned breath, um, I can imagine other other tools that you've shared, but is there anything that someone listening to this now could 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 ask themselves or weave in? I mean, let's go a little deeper, maybe on that. Well, here's what. Let me back up for one second and say, even the word safety. So there's this thing called the polyvagal theory, and you have a sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And in your parasympathetic nervous system, you have your vagal or your dorsal vagal response and your vagal, your ventral vagal response is like your forward facing, your joy, your connection, your willingness, your approachability. 
And your dorsal vagal is like fight, flight, freeze, fear, like, fuck, get me out of here right now. What do I do? Right. So we often don't realize what gets activated or triggered and where that came from. And there is a belief in the polyvagal theory that we're born with this response, that some of us are born energetically feeling safe already. And some of us are born feeling danger already. So when we enter into walking, when we enter into moments where there's choice points and there is consequence from the age of 18 months to three, from the age of three to five, five to seven, and so on, up the Erickson age stages, we have this experience of at this choice point, do I look for Ooh, how exciting. Let me pursue more. Let me stretch myself, which means you come from a safe perspective or, uh uh-oh, let me be careful and look around my surroundings for whatever could be dangerous so I could avoid it. Mm. So first of all, knowing that might allow some of the audience to be able to reflect on, huh, okay, Let me take an inventory on all the things in my life. Do I tend to come from everything's fine here? Let's go until proven that it's dangerous. Or let me watch out. Let me be careful. Let me be aware. Neither one is right or wrong. There's no good, bad. There's not a, a, well, we want to work towards getting more safe or we want to work for being less dangerous. It's not that kind of assessment. It's more of acceptance of if this is how you are designed, then you have a certain relationship to safety and protection. Now that you can become aware of your relationship to safety and protection, and this goes back to the conversation about relationships in general, we're not, Jan and I are not just experts in relationships, intimacy, partners and couples, we're we're experts and researchers and explorers and discoverers of relationship to money, to our, our operating system, to our life experience, to our purpose, to our, like, we are in relationship to everything in this world. And we often don't put as much importance on our relationship to our relationships. So if we can become aware that I'm a danger first person, well, if I'm a danger first person, I'm probably also going to want to have a lot of things that help me feel in control Mm -hmm. because then I'm going to feel the sense of safety in dangerous circumstances, environments. So now if I'm going to stretch myself and grow my capacity to be able to be okay and to operate at all cylinders rather than fight, flight, freeze or faint. So then I'm going to be like, okay, what other ways can I experience a sense of knowing so it doesn't feel like I have to manipulate or know the outcome before I have it? So for example, if you float in a deprivation tank, in a pool, in your bathtub. When you lie back in water, there is nothing telling you you're going to stay above the water and be able to breathe, nothing. And yet somehow, if we've learned how to lay on our back and float, or if we're in a bathtub, you know, we're not gonna go through the floor. If we, if we, if we pay attention to, I'm in trust right now. So I have a sense of control but I'm not needing to control it. I'm allowing that the water has my back as an example, or similarly, very simply, if you go and you take your, lift your leg to take a step, you don't think all of a sudden gravity is going to stop working and you're going to float away into outer space in the atmosphere. You know, you're going to lift your foot. And when you put your foot down, you're going to touch the earth because gravity is holding you down. But gravity is not like, here I am, control me. So the illusion of control stays an illusion if we keep thinking we need to control the outcome. But if we begin to entertain where are places in my life where I actually have control because I'm safe, but I'm not controlling it, Mm -hmm. then we can partner those two concepts and ideas inside of our psyche and begin to dance with this a little bit more. And now the part of us that feels it needs to control in order to have safety that holds that as fast can have a little bit more neuroplasticity, a little more flexibility. And then you can begin to develop, oh, 
I'm in my parasympathetic nervous system and I'm aware that I'm not in my heart forward expression. I'm in my back expression that's, that's I'm bracing myself. Can I breathe and bring my awareness into my heart in front so that I can marry the two? Can I pause and smell something that activates a different part of my brain? Because for me, smells activate a lot of memory. So like citrus is really good for me if I want to time travel into the past because it just activates a lot of memory for me. So maybe you find certain smells or you have an aromatherapy in your uh, air diffuser in your, in your space. You light Palo Santo. Just the smell of it can activate. I'm not, I don't have to be in control. I'm in front and back alignment. And those practices and muscle building tools activate a new part of your neural sensory system. And when your brain operates at a little bit slower of a pace, and you are able to have what we call the whisper or your awareness at the same time as the controller who wants the outcome, if they can marry each other, whenever the controller's up, the awareness and the whisper can say, hey, I see you're controlling. Do we need to do this? How much do we need to do that? How far do we need to take this? So it's just reflecting. It has no judgment. The awareness is simply like loving you and being by your side and holding you accountable and saying like, hey, how's it going? Do we want to do this? Is this serving us in this moment? And if yes, proceed. It's not like stop being controlling. It's are you aware why that control is here? And are you using it to serve you? Or is it not serving you? And then could we choose a different tool? You've mentioned a few times the dance, right? I just, I feel it. The dance of life, the dance of connectivity with parts of ourselves, with the universe, with our past self, with our future self, with other. So beautiful. I'd love to shift into a concept that you, um, that you taught me. I had never heard of it before that I think our audience would love the, the symbolism and the metaphor, the, the concept of IntelliKey. Beautiful. Can you speak into that. Yeah. Yeah, I sure can. So I have a company and it is called IntelliKey, the school of wisdom. It is coming online and being birthed. So I hesitate to share details about it because it is being birthed and it is coming to life. But what IntelliKey means and what I love about it is it means and and the the uh, potential, the complete and full potential, the ability for self-realization and potential. So for example, an acorn, the IntelliKey of an acorn is to become the oak. And when you're holding this little teeny seed of an acorn, like you can drive all through my neighborhood in Austin, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of oak trees. It's like we're an oak grove. So you see these magnificent and majestic trees that have branches and come together and they twist upon each other. And they're literally like, I think of them as like giants, like, like, like they have such human characters and qualities. They look like they have legs. They look like they have arms reading, reaching up to the sky. But when you hold the acorn, you don't know that that acorn has the intelligence of it, of its potential to become the oak tree. The sperm and the egg, the IntelliKey is a human being. When they come together and are fertilized, that 400 trillion cells and the DNA that needs to come together in an exact proportion aligned to the soul of that being's expression, the sperm and the egg look like a little tadpole and a, a little round cell. But their IntelliKey is the wisdom and the magnificence of a being. So we each carry the IntelliKey of so much. And we live often in the potential rather than the realization of the potential. We, we strive to be something more instead of celebrating that our potential is here as is. And that discrepancy between where we are and where we think we should be or should have been by now creates unfortunately, a lot of suffering on this planet. 
it creates stress and anxiety. It creates angst. It creates uh, a lack of awareness of one's worth or mattering or enoughness or value, importance. And what I like to say to people is, do you believe truly that the universe, God, spirit, whatever you believe in, would waste its effort on you if you weren't enough and weren't worthy of being? Do you really think it would go through all of that potential to waste itself on you? And I don't know anybody that can truly answer that question, yes. Because a trillion cells coming together to make a being, like the, the ability for that to come into fruition seems impossible in magic. So I would rather choose to believe in that I am worthy because that effort was put forward. And so the entelechy of me is supporting my every effort, my every desired outcome, my goals, my dreams. And the reason that it's called the school of wisdom is to remember and attune to the ancient wisdom of our people and people long, long before us different civilizations, different planets, different galaxies, different solar systems, all of that, that which we cannot necessarily always prove, but, but try to scientifically, but energetically, like have a sense of something grander than us. I think it calls us forward to really lean into our entelechy. Hmm. Oh, so beautiful. So much. It's a, it's beautiful to see all of the parts of your story weave together, right? You in the space research and you as a little girl thinking you're going to be a surgeon and you really are, you, you're a surgeon of belief systems. You're in there with people like, you know, like yes. operating those, you know, just it's the, the, the beauty and the, um, just the, just the, um, even I'm feeling into the anticipation of your continual act actualization into your pure potential that you already are. So I want to say something, hmm. you know, how sometimes you either work with a client or you're in a conversation and the two souls energies amplify and magnify what happens between you. Mm -hmm. So I've been on many, many podcasts and my experience right now is like, I'm, I'm reminding myself to stay here because my body keeps wanting to go up into the ether with you mm -hmm. because we, my experience of us, when we get together, Sasha, is that we tap into a line of energy of, of deep ancient knowing, mm -hmm. and that there's this beautiful activation that we do together uniquely that brings online the way that I'm speaking, because in my gene keys, one of my gifts is poetry. And I don't write poetry a lot. I have throughout my life, but it's not like the primary way that I express myself. But I believe that conceptually, the way that I speak is poetic. There's things that I say that it just comes through me in a way. And I know that it's not Monica. I know that it's channeled wisdom. And I just allow it to flow out of my mouth and I don't question it and I don't, don't hesitate. And so it just comes, but I just want you to know, I feel like the best example that I have of it is there are moments where I feel like I'm with, I'm in avatar, the movie, and I'm connected to the tree and that you and I are both connected simultaneously and that I'm dancing and collaborating inside of your experience and my experience. And we're just full yeses, like, like back backstroking in the clouds it feels beautiful and i'm just really i wanted to bring it forward because i don't feel this that often in this way with this magnitude like my body is buzzing and vibrating and i just thank you thank you i received that and i'm covered in goosebumps <laughs> yes yeah. oh so powerful um so with this if you'd like to tap into the tree with monica and us and um <laughs> <laughs> with that truly truly I do feel that with um and thank you for speaking into the upcoming um school of wisdom with IntelliKey because it really I'm I know I'll be tuning in and um so in the show notes we'll have all of Monica's information get on her email list follow her on social um 
yes, the school of wisdom is going to be coming at some point. And right now there's the superchargers event that you supercharge your life events coming up. And then of course, all of the coaching packages that you offer. So you can connect with Monica. All of the links are going to be in the show notes. Do you have a final message that you would like to leave us with today? Yes. So if you're the listener audience, I just invite you to just close your eyelids and just take a deep breath in and just notice where your breath goes when you take it in. Notice if it goes up into your head, notice if it goes into your body, notice if it goes into your heart, just notice where it goes. And then you can ask it to go where you'd like your breath to go. And so my encouragement is as you are diving into your purpose on the planet, as you're diving into your unique potential, your entelechy, as you're diving into your expression and gift, because you are a gift, as you're diving into that, allowing you to come into connection with your breath, connection with your body, connection with your inner wisdom, connection with the guides inside of you and outside of you that are here for your highest good and becoming more and more aware of energy that is for you and energy that is not. And you have the opportunity to share with energy that is not for you. You may ask it to go. You may tell it to leave. You may banish it away. And you can rub with your index finger, your third eye, and say something like cancel, clear, delete, if there is any energy that doesn't feel aligned. And you can ask any positivity, loving, kind, guidance, and energy, mentorship, clarity to come in the most perfect speed and way so that you can receive it and use it for the highest good. And I just invite you as a daily practice, as a weekly practice, as a monthly practice, whatever is called to you, to take these moments of breath. It doesn't take more than a minute or two, but to take these moments inside, to watch your breath, to guide your breath, to sense the energies that are within, to ask those that are not serving away, to clear your channel by clearing your third eye, to ask the kindness and the guidance to come and to be in harmonious communion with the parts inside of you that are up to amazing things that you as the unique being that you are, are bringing to life on this planet to infuse into all the people and all the lives that you get to interact with. Mm. And so it is. And so it is. (laughs) Thank you so much, Monica. And thank you listening for sharing this sacred space with us. See you next time. Bye-bye.